Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Have you ever wondered... And then there's that. God is calling. And uh, yes. Have you ever wondered or ever had somebody try to tell you something about an event that sharply contradicts your direct observation? You're, you're something, I, I know I told you this. I, I know this is the way, way it happened. Or they just dismiss your account of an event or story. And they weren't not even there. That's frustrating, is it not? You just want to shout out, where were you? Where were you? You were nowhere there. Why do you doubt me? Well, that's kind of what we're coming in today. Knowing that his death is near, Peter has urgently called upon his rights and responsibility as an apostle of Jesus Christ to remind them of the believers. Now listen to this, responsibility their duty, their call to duty to pursue godliness. In last week's passage, Peter identifies the purpose of his writing of 2 Peter. It was to stir them to godliness by reminding them of his teachers. And he's asserting his right as an ordained apostle of Jesus. One who has been personally chosen by Christ and had been taught for him for almost three years. Now, as we come to today's passage, Peter anticipates one of the objections of the false teachers, that is the denial of Christ's return. If you were to look at chapter 3, verse 3 through 7, which we are not at this moment, they are denying that Jesus is going to return again. These false teachers are countering the apostles' teaching that Jesus will return by charging that the apostles made it all up so they could just control people. They're saying that the children of God should just live and let live. There's no need to pursue godliness. Let us live by liberty for all. Well, as we come to 2 Peter chapter 1, 12 through 15, or sorry, I actually have it wrong. It's actually 16 through 18. My notes are wrong. We're going to look at where he says, where were you? Where were you? Let's look at that passage in verse 16, where he says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on that holy mountain. Father, open our minds and hearts to receive your word with gladness and with with eagerness. Keep our minds and hearts from the distractions that normally come up. Lord, let us be able to capture the truths that are found here in 2 Peter. Open up our minds and our hearts to receive them, to hear them, 
and then to respond to your work. Let me, be, let me speak words that are edifying. Lord, let us understand the difference between your word and my mere opinion. But through it all, Father, I pray that we would be committed and convinced to the fact of your powerful coming. And may we eagerly look forward to it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Peter here is countering, as I said before, the false pastors and teachers who denounce the apostles' teaching that Jesus is coming back again. Peter had previously taught and written about the hope that is found in Christ coming back in power. Take your Bibles and turn back to 1 Peter, if you would, please. In 1 Peter, starting with verse 3. Again, as a way just to remind us of what he's been teaching throughout these years. 1 Peter chapter 1, looking at verse 3, Peter had written this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, you might remember this passage. We spent a long time, several weeks on this passage alone. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Look at verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Therefore, in verse 13, drop down to verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, supplement your faith, increase in your faith, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, in that same book, but turning in that same letter, turn to chapter 4. For in chapter 4, verse 13, he says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when what? When his glory is revealed. Peter has been teaching that Jesus is going to come in power. And you will recognize it. That is the salvation that will be final. That is coming. That is our hope. That is our source of rejoicing in times of suffering. Our hope in enduring suffering and temptations and trials is that one day Christ will come and deliver us from the presence of sin and that he will reign forever bringing justice and righteousness. Reading Isaiah this past week in my own devotion, you see the hope of Israel was the fact that the Messiah would come and would reign in justice and righteousness. You and I, from last week as we look at another school shooting, does not your heart yearn for righteousness and justice? Is there not a hope that this must end? But yet we have some that are saying, prayer never stopped one bullet from hitting a little child. Prayer does no. Why do you say anything about God? He is ineffective, incapable of doing anything. This teaching that Jesus is coming again is consistent with what Peter had been taught by Jesus and personally instructed by angels. Look at John chapter 14. It's here on the monitor. In this passage, Jesus promises that I will come for you. Look, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, uh, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. This is a promise. This should be underlined in your Bible. It should be marked. You should put it on your mirror. You should put it on your refrigerator. This is something that you and I need to understand. We are not left here on earth and where God, Christ just takes off for heaven and leaves and abandons his children. Now turn to Acts chapter 1 if you would. In this passage, Jesus gives them, his disciples, his final instructions before his ascension. But then you also see the instructions given to them by angels. In Acts chapter 1, look at verse 6. So when they had come together, this is after the, the Christ has been there for 40 days with them after the resurrection. He said, the Lord, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says in verse 7, well, it's not for you to know when or when I'm coming. But look at verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my what? Witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's the great commission given there in Acts. Verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. Speaking of Jesus, he is being lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What a wonderful, miraculous, but also scary sight as they see Jesus go up. And they wonder, what's our next step? They did not know what to do. They just continued to stare at the sky. The angels had to, so to speak, kind of take them out of their stupor, out of their daydream, so to speak. Peter here is convinced by the promises of Jesus and these two white-robed angels that, they, they, that has been faithfully passed down this wonderful truth to his readers and his leaders and to those in his ministry. And it was to encourage his readers to pursue godliness, to find hope in enduring suffering and counteracting the hostility of this world with love and goodness and self-control and patience. And how do we do that? The fact that we know that Jesus is coming again. That's what gets us up in the morning. That's what gets you in facing a workplace, which many times is just total anti what you are. It's how you get through physical and emotional and uh, suffering and loneliness. It's what you and I need to grasp onto when we're scared and when we're worried and we feel like we're all alone. Knowing that Jesus will come again, that is our hope and that is what Peter has been encouraging them about. Understanding the opposition and the objections of the false teachers. Peter, Peter I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. Peter has been reminding these beloved believers of two things. It's not on the monitor, so just if you want to take your notes. The first thing that Peter has been teaching them is that it is Christ who will decide who gets into the eternal kingdom. And you need to realize this real quick. You are not God. 
You are not Christ. You do not deserve heaven. You do not deserve the eternal kingdom. You do not get to pass it down. It is not a legacy or a heritage or something that you can attain by your own goodness. No, Christ decides who gets into the eternal kingdom. If you're back in 2 Peter, you can see this as you look at verse 11 of chapter 1. We read this several weeks ago. Peter taught that God will richly provide for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior. So it is not us that provides it, but it is God who richly provides for those who he will decide will get into his eternal kingdom. Now, Peter is not teaching this just to assert his authority and to rule harshly over his believers. Nor should any pastor, teacher, or elder. And we should never be guilty of that. But again, he is constrained by the teaching and ministry that was given to him by Jesus Christ as an ordained apostle. He has no other choice but to share these events, these truths. Peter, in witnessing to the Gentile centurion Cornelius in, in Acts chapter 10, in verse 42, Jesus said, has commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that God, Jesus, is the one that has been appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. You must recognize that. One day you and I will be judged. Why should I let you into my heaven? Why should I let you enter into the joy of our Savior. So not only will Christ decide to get who decides gets into heaven, but he goes on in 2 Peter verses 5 through 10 of the same chapter that we just went through this week or this past week, only those who have lived godly lives gets into the kingdom. So the criteria is not who your parents are, not what church you went to, how much you gave to the church, or anything of that matter. You will recall that in those passages, Peter taught that you and I must possess and increase in our faith by making every effort to supplement our faith, that gift that comes from God, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. These qualities, Peter had written, confirm our standing as a child of God. It shows, it is proof that we belong. And God says it will be richly provided, but it's only those will enter into the kingdom of God. I will direct you back to those messages of the last few weeks in which we clearly showed that through scripture. So Christ decides who gets an eternal kingdom. It is only those who have lived godly lives. Well, the false teachers are teaching something totally different. Take your Bibles, if you would, please. Matthew chapter 25. And this is important for you and I to see and understand. These verses, these truths should change the way that you and I see heaven, see eternity, and understand the profession of faith. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, again, Peter is not using the keys of the kingdom that were given to him by Christ to personally determine who gets in and out for his own gain or sense of entitlement. But he's remembering the warnings and the promises of Jesus who taught in Matthew 25 verse 31 that when the Son of Man comes in his glory, when he comes back in glory and all his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. 
Before him will be gathered, it says. Now look at this picture. Jesus now is coming down and he's on this glorious throne on earth. And he gathers all the nations. And as the people from all across the world come to him, it says that he will separate the people one from another. As the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now you might think of as the time when, when shepherds would send their sheep out and they would start to, to uh, the word that's come to mind is mow the grass, but we understand that's not exactly what they're doing. They're eating the grass, they're, they're, they're getting in their fill, that many times as they were out in this wild pasture, that goats would come and intermingle. They weren't worried about each other. And so it would be time when the shepherd begins to call them back. And many times goats would get uh, intertwined with this group. They're just going with the flow. And it was the shepherd's duty as he was letting them in, as he would say, okay, sheep, 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 goat, go away, go away. Sheep, sheep, goat, goat. And so in this, that's the picture that we're seeing here. As the nations come, as individuals are coming, he's saying, here, my sheep, go away, my goats. Look at verse 33, not mine, but go away. Look at verse 33. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then in verse 34, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So again, we see that only those who have lived godly lives, those who are Christ's sheep, will only get into heaven. This fulfills Jesus' promise that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, those that are my sheep, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. These are the spiritual truths that Peter has been laying down for the last 30 to 40 years since Christ has left. The false teachers are trying to discredit the teaching of Jesus' return as a myth. It is a legend. It is stories. They are accusing Peter and the rest of the apostles of making up stories for their own benefit. To the false teachers, any teaching that Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead is just a heavy-handed attempt to control Christians. They maintain that the apostles were just legalistic, legalists who were enslaving believers with legalistic handcuffs. That's all that you're doing. They want you to live this way so that they can control you. In response, Peter writes, as you look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, Peter writes, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you. The we are the apostles that he's speaking of who served as the foundation of the church. Peter, after the ascension of Jesus, remarked to the other disciples the importance of the role of an apostle and their need to add to their member or to their number after the betrayal of Judas. In Acts chapter 1, Peter says, hey, let's take and let another take his office. There must be someone who can take the place of Judas. Why? Because there must be one man who has accompanied us from during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up. One of these men must come with us as a witness to the resurrection. Now, as an eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection... The apostles poured out their lives to give their testimonies and their lives 
to the world. Their eyewitness testimony would become the bedrock of the gospel. The Apostle Paul, or yes, the Apostle Paul, excuse me, would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that he says, I delivered you of first importance, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried, raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. He would then go on to say in verse 5 that Jesus then appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to 500 more brothers at one time, some who are dead, but some who are still alive, many who are alive. He said then in verse 7 that he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all is one untimely, Paul says, Jesus appeared before me. This gospel, the good news, would serve to announce to those who believed in the name of Jesus were now no longer strangers and aliens, but now they are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And they are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the eyewitnesses and those according to Scripture. In last week's passage, Peter exerted his authority as an apostle to stir them up, to remind remind them of his teaching. And one of the teachings is the power in the coming of Christ. As we look at today's passage, he exercises his and the other apostles' role as eyewitnesses to the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. Peter stresses that he and the other apostles were eyewitnesses of his majesty, he says in our passage. Specifically, he's mentioning the transfiguration that is recorded in three of the Gospels. Now, Randy earlier read Matthew's account of that that experience, that supernatural revealing of Jesus as the Son of God. And in that account, we learn two important facts about Jesus that Peter is referring to when he writes that this Jesus, this Son of God, when he received honor and glory from the God, the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. He's telling us something special happened. Now I'll give you two. First is that the visible alteration of Jesus, his, his, his clothes becoming dazzling, his face showing the glory. It demonstrates that Jesus is more than just a mere teacher. Luke records that as Jesus was praying, that the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep during this time. But when they became fully awake, they saw the glory of Jesus and the two men who stood with him, Moses and Elijah. There was a visible expression, something visible, supernatural was happening to Jesus, indicating that he's more than just a mere man. But not only that, there was a voice from heaven that declared once again the identity that Jesus is the Son of God. The Father once again speaks into history and announces that Jesus is his Son. For after Jesus' baptism, we heard the words of Jesus, or the word of the Father proclaim, you are, you are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Once again, he says it at the transfiguration. Though Jesus will be rejected by his own people and killed by the Romans, he is accepted and loved by the Father. Peter really here is appealing to historical facts. I was there. 
I saw Jesus change. I heard the voice of God the Father. We saw the glory of the Father descend on the Son. We heard the stamp of approval and the commendation of the Father. In verse 18 of our passage, Peter maintains that we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. He's reminding his readers and us today that Peter's teaching and ministry is not self-delusion or an attempt to promote self-importance, but an honest record of an historical fact. The disciples moved from the great confession that Jesus is Christ before the transfiguration of who believed Jesus to a great confusion of how to respond to that revealing. If you would read those passages, they were in fear. They didn't know what to do with it. But eventually they would move to great conviction in sharing the gospel. As God, Jesus said, do not reveal the vision until after my resurrection. And they did so for the 30 to 40 years of their life, pouring out that this is Jesus. And this Jesus who died and resurrected ascended to heaven. And one day he's going to come in power and majesty. We've seen Peter's testimony. I'd like to share with you John's. In John chapter 1, verse 14, John says the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of, only, as, of, as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. These men would go to their death, some in martyrdom, declaring that Jesus is God. What you and I need to understand about the transfiguration, why Peter is bringing up the transfiguration here to to. to tackle or to counteract the objections of the false teachers is that the, of Jesus, the transfiguration of Jesus during his earthly ministry is a manifestation of the powerful coming of the kingdom when Jesus returns. It was a preview of who Jesus would be when he returns again. It shows his kinship with God, that he is God, that he is the power of God. It was a glimpse, a preview, if you will, of Jesus' glory. Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 19. In this passage, the apostle John is near the end of his, his life. And like Peter, he's given a new revelation of the powerful coming of Jesus. And he records this vision. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. John writes, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one setting on it is called Faithful and True in righteousness, and and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Verse 13 tells us that he is clothed in a robe that's dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. 
and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There is no meek riding or meekly riding on a donkey into Jerusalem, led by hateful, murderous soldiers, egged on by uh, religious zealots with blind followers. That's why he says, I've been telling you about a powerful coming of a righteous king whose robe is dipped in blood and he's coming to judge the living and dead. He has the power to grant entrance into the kingdom of heaven and deny entrance to others. The apostles witness, teaching, and ministry all agree that Jesus will come again in all power, glory, and vindication. Peter maintains in this account that his preaching and teaching is not made man, but comes from direct revelation. These false teachers were leading the children of God astray. And Peter wants to remind these elect exiles not to forget the promise of the glorious return of Christ. Pursue godliness. Make every effort. Be diligent. The writer of Hebrew understands this tendency to drift from the foundation teach, foundational teachings of the apostles when he wrote in Hebrews. We must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the passage declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or dis disobedience received a just retribution, how shall you and I escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And I would call to you, how will you escape if you neglect the salvation? the living out the pursuit of holiness and godliness in your entertainment, in the way you spend your money, in the way you raise your family. The writer goes on to say, it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God is also borne witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Peter is throwing up his hands here, not in desperation, but in victorious saying, where were you? You know not what you speak of. Christ is powerfully coming again. To Peter's original readers and to us today, this doctrine of the second coming of Christ is an important truth. One that you and I must be assured of. You, must, you and I must embrace this doctrine. We must share this doctrine with others. The second coming of Jesus gives us hope. That is why Peter is fighting it. You might ask, well, why does he even concern himself? So what if people believe Jesus is coming or not? Does it really affect your Christian life if you believe Jesus is coming or if he's not? Well, I would contend that scripture does. I would tell thee that you will not pursue godliness and holiness if you do not believe, if you do not trust, if you do not eagerly hope for that coming. And I want to share with you four reasons why the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus gives us hope. I want to give you four reasons why. The first is the hope that just as Jesus was transformed, so will you and I be transformed. The fact that Jesus was transformed gives us hope that one day we will be. You'll see the scripture there, John, 1 John. says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. We're not really sure. We've accepted Christ, but yet here we are struggling with sin. 
but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in Christ's coming, that we will be transformed, purifies himself as he is pure. Jesus says we will be transformed. That's the hope. We will not be in this lowly body and this limited mind forever. Secondly, he gives us the hope to endure suffering and hostility in this world. Philippians tells us, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even all things to sub or even enables him even to subject all things to himself. There's some of you that are just living lives of suffering. Each day can be difficult. You're going through many different things. It could be physical. It could be mental. It could be emotional. It could be financial. It could be relational. But let me tell you, there is hope in the suffering that it will end. Now, I know you and I want it to end today. And you know what? That's some of the problem that goes on with this deception that happens. Is everybody wants a miracle now. And God has promised that he will miraculously restore those of his children, but we haven't come to the point that that happens. That is promised, guaranteed in the second coming of Christ. So don't give up. Hold on to the hope to endure the suffering, not only physically and mentally, but also the hostility that comes from living in a world that wants to just disrupt and hurt the Christian faith. Just this week, several different uh, vice presidents and others are degenerating our faith. Degener What's the word? It's just... Thank you. Can you say that in the mic? Degenerating our faith. Say it real quick and then no one knows, right? They're just pouring on. Who is God? What is faith? Faith is a mental illness, they say on The View. Joy Bear. Well, that's where we stand. Just this past weekend, Sudan, another church destroyed. Fortunately, they waited for the Christians to get out. Number three. The doctrine of the second coming of Jesus gives us hope in the fact that death will finally be defeated. 1 Corinthians tells us, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality. He goes on to say, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortal, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your strength, your sting? Let me tell you, without this hope, you and I would be caught in the same position as the world. Without hope, in despair, that life will always be stuck in the curse of death. We are born, we live, we suffer, we die. We were born, we live, we suffer, and we die. Who would want to give children in that type of, that type of environment? 
And there's those who are caught in that despair. But let me tell you, the hope of the second coming is that death will be swallowed up. Death, the curse of death, will be defeated. Now Christ has done that on the cross with his resurrection. But yet you and I, life has been going on for 2,000 years. We suffer through the death of our loved ones and our friends. And we ourselves and many despair of that day for ourselves. But let me tell you, there will be a day that death will be no more. Paul proclaims in Romans 6, 5, that you and I have been united with him in a death like his. We shall be certainly united with a resurrection like his. The second coming is that hope that life will be dramatically changed and the curse of death will be defeated. And fourthly, the hope of eternal rewards is promised. For as each says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that each one's work will be made manifest, will be made known. For the day, that day when you see that capitalized, is speaking of Christ's return. For that day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and that fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. This hope, this confident expectation that Jesus will fulfill his promise to return also serves as a motivation for you and I it's found in the Great Commission to teach Christ's followers to deserve all that I have commanded you and the promise that Jesus said, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Peter is writing to counter the false teaching that it doesn't matter how you live. For Christ is not coming to judge the living and the dead. So live out your liberty. But you and I must recognize as we look at the hope, as we look at what Peter is telling us, that you and I must live godly lives. Why? Because Christ is coming and he will judge the living and the dead. It is Christ who determines who gets in. And it is he who has determined the criteria of how he will judge. Peter understands that the return of Jesus serves as motivation to pursue godliness. He is acutely aware that if the false teachers are correct, listen to this, that if the false teachers are correct, that if there is no second coming, if there is no judgment that awaits the believer, then why should you pursue godliness and holiness? Why? He does not want believers to fall into that trap that they can avoid the commands of Christ to possess and increase in the qualities that will mark the fruits of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul, writing in unison with this thought and with this spiritual truth, writes in Titus 2, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training that you and I should renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, that you and I should live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, awaiting for our blessed hope. What's that blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Not only does second coming Christ give us hope and motivation, but it's also meant to comfort and encourage believers and the church to pursue holiness, to endure suffering, to continue to fulfill God's call for us, call for us as ambassadors. 
Let me leave you with this charge from Paul to the church. And I believe it might be on the screen, Ben. I don't remember if I put it on here. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul writes this to a church that was afraid that they missed the second coming. But he writes this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, with a, with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Pursue godliness. Pursue holiness. May you possess them and may you increase in them. For Christ is is coming again. The struggle, the effort, the diligence is worth the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. With every head bowed and every eye closed as the worship team, team comes up. I'd like to just bring this to a close if I could. So I want you to understand that God wants you to understand that there is a day of judgment and rewards. Scripture warns us that it is appointed for man to die once, and after that, that comes the judgment. But he also wants to know that Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, that he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for them. You have a choice this morning. To be part of the living, or to be part of the dead. To be of the sheep, God's children, or of the goats. And because of that, God wants you to believe that those that have called upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that we have escaped the corruption that is in the world because of our sinful desires. And he wants you to believe that Jesus will fulfill his promise to make a place for us in the eternal kingdom for the children of God. And that our desires will be remade and renewed and we will no longer fight the sinful presence or the presence of sin that's in our life. He wants you to desire to live godly lives, looking for that glorious appearing of God. For those of you who do not know Christ, He desires for you to see His beauty and to call on Him for salvation. Would you do so today? God wants you to find your hope and your strength your motivation, encouragement, and the eyewitnesses accounts of the apostles who testified to the powerful coming of Jesus of Jesus, in glory to judge the living and the dead. May God grant us his peace as you and I keep our conduct, conduct among our family, our friends, and our sphere of influence honorable, that they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. For he does come again. So let's pursue holiness. Would you pause? Would you consider the words of Peter and scripture this morning? Would you pray to the Holy Spirit and respond? As you say, Lord, what's 
next? What promise must I hold on to? What attitude must I get rid of? What must I do to pursue the godliness? Let me hold on to the hope of Christ's resurrection. You are so good to us. And Father, I pray that we would look forward to that coming. Let it be part of our everyday thought and mind that you are returning to judge the living and the dead. That includes ourself, our spouses, our family, our friends, our neighbors. We do not know when, but we know soon. And let us recognize that you're coming in power. And may we pursue that as we await eagerly the godliness, the sober living you called us to. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.